Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, the podcast that spent nine hours and 700 WhatsApp messages arguing over an iRacing incident that was definitely the fault of ex-panelist Alex Jeansy Van Jean. May he punt in peace. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Durumpitz. Matt, we need F1 back. We are going stir crazy. Yeah, it does speak to a certain lack of other things to do that literally I could wake up in the morning and see 500 plus messages about, well, yes, an iRacing incident in a friendly race. It was, there's no friends in iRacing practice in Missed Apex (laughs) podcast. There is another Missed Apex podcast iRacing race coming up. I'll give you details of that next week. But we definitely, definitely need F1 back, Matt. Uh, My kids, if they bump into each other, I spend like an hour debating whose fault it is. I'm speculating over their sibling rivalry. Me and Mrs. Spanners have picked favourites for the first time in our parenting career. Oh, yes. Do you agree on the favourites? No, we do not. (laughs) Good luck. Hashtag Team Little V. Treeface is way in my bad books right now. Uh, but honestly, though, I think I might miss the off-season because we've we've had a great time over the off-season and there's been no pressure of content and we've just been able to chill out and relax. And also, no one's listening. Yeah, the best part is no one's listening. <laughs> Certainly, we're not getting all sorts of new people showing up just because we bothered to turn up on the Sundays when everybody else was sitting home and sleeping in. This happens every off-season. Even though the overall numbers do take a dip, Obviously, there's other people who go, oh, my favorite podcast can't be bothered to make podcasts during the off season. Who is making podcasts? And then we get a new pe- new people in. So th- thank you very much and welcome to the new listeners we have on board. We've also had a flurry of new patrons as well. So thank you very, very much. We've added an ad free RSS feed for patrons and also the new weekly Patreon 
Wafflecast has had a good reception as well, Matt. So I think Matt and I will keep that up. Please consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash missed apex. You didn't come here to listen to me. You came here to listen to Matthew Carter. But first, I have to tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you race reviews before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Double bagsy, BBC checkered flag doesn't count. No backseats. Here he is, Matthew Carter, ex-Lotus F1 team manager and urbane, handsome star guest of Missed Apex podcast. How are you, Matthew? Very, very well. How are you? Do you do you like the moniker of urbane? I think it's very fitting. <sighs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like it. I'm not sure I like the team manager title that you've just given me. What, what should we go for? Team principal? Uh, yeah. Team manager, CEO, sort of, team principal. I guess team so. manager is yeah, exactly. Yeah, team manager is a bit adminy, isn't it? Like cups of tea, flights, etc. All right, sorry. Let me start again. Matthew Carter, ex Lotus F1 CEO <laughs> and team principal, and urbane handsome ah, star guest dear, yeah. of Missed Apex podcast. Uh, I've got an early question for you, actually, from our Slack. Go, group. go, go. Uh, Josh Ruckus Covey says, "Here's a question for Mr. Carter." Why did he rip our tiny hearts out of our tiny chests and smash them to tiny bits last week by cancelling? Why? It had to be the polar vortexes or vortices. Well, I, I blame you entirely for last week. Oh, you and Jeansy. Oh. I think it was, very, it, was very early, it was very early on in our discussions. I said it was a very tentative. Uh, it was a tentative. Yes. And I just ripped you, you off. And you went with it. Sorry, yeah, I just ripped you off. But you're, you're here now. Willy-nilly. I'm here now, yes. I'm That's here. good. Well, what, what does a Carter do when not engaged in missed Apex service? I know this is the prime focus I, of I your... I just sit and wait. I just sit and wait for these, for these conversations. That's all I do. I've got this image of you just sat patiently at the end of the bed, just with the special missed Apex phone we gave you, the red and white one. That's absolutely what I do, yes. Oh. What's the question? What do you mean, what do I do? I, well, yeah, um, what, what, what I does work. Mr... I work. Absolutely... I Oh, does that mean you're cagey? You don't want to tell us about your work because you're secretly... No, no, not at all, not at all. So I, I think you know the reason I ended up in Formula One was uh, a slightly strange route via a venture capital company that I worked for. Um, so I still, I still do that on a daily basis. So I still work in the realms of venture capital. So uh, a little bit more consulting now because I'm uh, the other side of the, of the water. But yeah, I work within the realms of venture capital and all the wonderful things that that entails. And we definitely know what that means. Does that mean that, oh, hang on, do you speculate on small, like, businesses that are about to launch into the world and, like, poor investment mm, into like, them? Like, like a lotus, a small, a small business that was, <laughs> uh, that was struggling and that needed a little bit of uh, guidance in the, in the right direction. Oh, wow. So that's literally how you got into F1. I'm sure we've had this conversation, but yes, that's exactly it was a long time ago, and I've slept since then. So yeah, you might want to invest in a small shed-based enterprise. We'll talk later. People are interested in you as a person as well, and we imagine that all you're doing is flying around go kart tracks, preparing yourself for the next missed apex karting event. I golf, I guess, is, is really. I played. I played golf yesterday, actually, indoor golf here in Montreal, which was uh, interesting. So yeah, I play golf. Uh, what else would I do? I had family and, you know, normal normal things that people get involved in. I was going to say, it's a bit cold for golf, isn't it, outside at the moment? Yeah, no, so it's the first time I played indoor. It was it was quite interesting, actually. It was okay. It worked <laughs> well. It involved alcohol and, um, <laughs> and a warm environment, so it was good. Was it, what, real golf or a simulator? It, it, you take your own golf clubs and your own golf balls and you basically hit into a screen and uh, it's kind of, it's quite clever the way it does it. It, it does it. 
it works out the spin of the ball and the way you've angled you've hit it. And yeah. I, I do, I do like those because no sensor is quick enough to pick up the amount of slice I put on a golf ball. So <laughs> invariably, it goes a lot straighter than than uh, it would have done otherwise. Uh, let's just talk about a little bit about your current involvement in F1 because since you first started coming on Missed Apex, believe it or not, we've had a few new listeners. So no, currently I'm not really involved in Formula One at all. I do. Um, a little bit of consulting for some companies within Formula One. I do a little bit of helping some teams to try and find some sponsorship, which is a little bit tricky at the moment. Really? Um, I guess you're not allowed to say who. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of blanket, to be fair. I think if, if a sponsor pokes their head above the parapet, then they get dived on by a thousand vultures, <laughs> similar to me, to try and uh, place them into a team. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm still involved in, in different ways and forms and uh, and we'll we'll see where things lead in the future but at the moment it's uh, it's it's a slightly backseat approach i sit and look and i watch a bit like uh, a bit like all you guys do and uh, but i've got a little bit more i guess i've got a little bit more insight from from some people within within the sport you sit back waiting to find the next lotus do you, do you look at teams as they're struggling and go ooh, do you know what fancy bit of that it's getting, to be fair, it's getting less and less. I did use, well, obviously, again, we've, we've had this conversation, but I went to Mana very briefly after Lotus, um, believing that, genuinely believing that, that that could be turned around, um, but it didn't really happen. Uh, but now I think it's less and less. I don't think there's particularly teams on the grid now that, that you can look at and say they're in uh, dire straits. Um, Sauber, obviously, it's not Sauber anymore, is it? It was that official a few days ago. It's, it's on the Alfa Romeo team. So, I mean, they've obviously got a chunk of funding. Um, they're going in the right direction. Same with Force India. Um, so I don't think there really are any small teams anymore. I think they're all, they're all fairly uh, on fairly sound footing at the moment. Evangelos Etikolaikos says, what F1 team's desperate for sponsors? Don't those guys have more money than God? Is it, is it a select group of teams at the back that are the most desperate? I honestly, I think they're all desperate for sponsors. I think um, more money than God's an interesting way of putting it. I don't think any of them have. I think they just have creative ways that they account and fund themselves. So um, Mercedes and Ferrari, for example, are um, they effectively put a chunk of their money is their marketing for their road cars. So Mercedes AMG can can argue that they're selling more cars on the back of being a successful F1 team, so they can chuck some cash into it from that direction. Having said that, I think if if someone came along and offered them a huge amount of money to be their title sponsor, then they would take it, um, which they did do with Petronas. I mean, there's there was no specific link there. So I think any team would take a sponsor at this stage. It's more difficult for the smaller teams because of profile, etc. And also, I mean, I'm not sure if this is where you want to go with this conversation, but also there's a, um, there's a, the, the way that sponsorship is approached at the moment is completely different. So I remember when I was at Lotus, we had um, Epson, the uh, printer company, yeah. were looking to come into Formula One. And they basically did something similar to, to what I, I understand that Rich Energy Drinks did, where they basically touted themselves up and down the, the paddock to see where they were going to get the best deal. Um, so this was back in 20. 15, I think. Um, and I think we offered them a pretty good deal. We offered them a good price. We offered them good coverage on the car. We offered them all the things that they wanted. They ultimately went to Mercedes-Benz because uh, Mercedes-Benz agreed that every Mercedes-Benz dealership worldwide would have an Epson printer in their offices. Oh. So 
I mean, and that, so that's something you can't, how can, how can I compete with that? As, I mean, we weren't Lotus cars, as you know, yeah. Lotus was just a sponsor. So we were just an F1 team. So we had no way of, com- you know, we couldn't compete with that. Um, it happens with oil companies as well. So I know that Renault signed a deal recently with BP and they part of that deal was that every new Renault, the oil, you know, you get a, a bottle of oil that sits in the boot of the car when you buy a car, when it's new. Well, that would, that was changed over to become BP. So there's there's this kind of not they're not secondary deals, but there are there's there's ways and means that people can offset the amount of money that they're putting into Formula One, and they can they can guarantee a return on investment that is not necessarily so easy for the smaller teams. Uh, yeah, no, that that is definitely the direction we wanted to go down. And of course, Matt and I are very familiar with what comes with new cars. Uh, we def- we don't buy them off dodgy Dave uh, off the car lot, do we, Matt? Uh, speak for yourself. Uh, the the chat room is asking though i think it's don burn here who said uh does that relate to rich energy and the way they've come in as well because obviously we saw rich energy being uh, touted by williams quite a lot and i think the speculation was rich energy would be a williams sponsor and then it sort of flip-flopped at the last minute so obviously someone else has come in and and just offered them a secondary deal or so, as such. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Rich are a, a bit of a strange entity themselves. So, so the point I was trying to make was that Epson, um, well, touted is not quite the right way, but they basically put themselves out there and said, look, we're looking to come into Formula One and we're going to talk to anyone that will talk to us and we're going to sit and pick our best deal. Um, and the, the analogy was that I think Rich Energy did the same thing. I think they literally rocked up in the, in the paddock and said, look, we're prepared to put some money into an F1 team. Who's going to give us the best deal? Um, having said that, and again, I may have missed this, but I don't think it's actually been announced that they have done anything, has it? Or have they, have they officially, they were going to go to Haas, weren't they? I don't know if it's officially announced, or I guess we'll see when the liveries are launched next week. Uh, that's definitely Trumpet's territory. Yeah, no, I think they're definitely going to Haas. I think there's definitely a livery coming from them, is the last that I'd heard, but... Yeah. Correct in that we'll know the full truth once the uh, cars launch uh, for testing. Esteban Garcia in the chat room would like to know, since we're asking you all sorts of personal questions. Yeah, we've gone all Q and A early, haven't we? Okay. <laughs> what it was actually like uh, working with Federico Gastaldi when you were at Lotus? I don't know uh, why he was. Well, it's a very specific question. Federico was was fantastic. Federico was my. Uh, I don't think he would. He wouldn't like me saying this, but he was—he was effectively my right-hand man. He was everywhere that I went around the world. He would be there a day or so in advance of me, and I would—he would be the first, my first port of call when I landed um, to tell me where I needed to go, where we needed to be. He, Federico, had been in the sport for many, many years. He was originally promoter of the Argentinian race with his brother back in the day and um, back in the late 90s I think then he worked with Benetton and Renault and so he he knew or knows everyone in Formula One so when I first started he literally walked me up and down the paddock introducing me to people and uh, telling me who it was good to, to to know and to talk to and who it wasn't um, so yeah he was a great guy he's a really really lovely fella um, he stayed on with Renault um, when we sold the business um, he actually, he actually had some health issues, um, and he doesn't work for Renault anymore. But uh, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a really nice guy. 
when he was introducing you in the paddock and pointing people out, who did he say to avoid and who did he say you should befriend? Generally, people like Joe Sayward were the people that he would uh, tell me to avoid. That I, wasn't, I wasn't and... fishing for that. I was definitely fishing for that. Uh, we'll get Uncle Joe on here soon for sure. Uh, so now that you're in the, in the background with us, with us mugs, watching F1 as a fan, I know you're a passionate F1 fan and I don't know whether you play that up or not, but who do you sit here cheering on? Do you, do you have any teams where you go, it must be Renault, mustn't it? You must be going, that's my old team. You know, I just, I wish them all the best. No, not really. No, um, medium? I, do, no. I mean, I, I don't really. I, I, and it sounds a terrible thing to say, but I do tend to look at it fairly neutral. Um, I I like uh, Haas because of Roman, just because he was my driver the whole time that I was in, it was in Formula One and I, there's a, there's a link there. Um, but equally, Esteban Ocon was one of my drivers as well. He was one of my junior drivers, so I like to follow and, and sort of keep an eye on what he's doing. Um, so, no, I, I mean, I genuinely, I think it's exciting when there's more than one team that can win. Um, I'm obviously English, so there's a, there's a slight taint towards Lewis Hamilton and, uh, and wanting to see a Brit do well. Uh, Correct. Um, well done. But aside from that, no, I, I genuinely am, I am pretty neutral. Um, the Renault thing's interesting because I... I have more knowledge of them as a team and the people that work there. And that makes it interesting because I, sometimes I look and I think that they're not doing things the way that they could or should be doing. Um, and that they could and should be doing better than they are. Um, you must unavoidably but, still have friends there. You must still, you must have had people yeah, who've been to birthday parties who you create friendships with and they go, Hey, Carter, check this thing out. So you must be like an inside man at Renault. I, well, yeah, I mean, I, they all, they essentially, everyone, I mean, they've expanded a lot since since they bought the team. But yeah, I mean, essentially all the people that, that worked for me are still there. So I know lots of people there. And whenever I go to a race, they always come and talk to me. And I, you know, I have lots of messages. And uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting to see them and to see the way that they're going about things. Um, I mean, the, the, there's lots of interesting things going on there. The whole Carlos Ghosn which is how you pronounce mm. it. I've heard you pronounce it in lots of different ways on the podcast. I like to pronounce so things in all the possible ways, and then I can't be was, wrong all the time. Who was it? Some one of one of, was it? Chris Stevens went with Goshen, Carlos Goshen, <laughs> the tiny. Which is how it's spelled, to be fair. But it is Gone. It's Carlos Gone. Oh, but he the, that's going to be interesting because he and I think it was it was uh, it was one of you guys that was saying that, but that he was the person that really pushed for Renault to uh to buy the team back so i know for a fact that he sat around a board of directors and to start with he was the only one that was championing the cause and everyone else sat around the table was wanting Renault to pull out completely of formula one and he gradually managed to turn every single one around that table around and uh and said you know we either we either pull out or we go we go for this full full-hearted and buy a team so he was the sort of the, the driving force behind it so now that he's gone it'll be interesting to see how how that whether they still get the same funding, whether it gets, still gets the same backing. So is there a danger then that the appetite at that core disappears? So if he was like an emperor figure, he's left the power vacuum and the people who fill it might go, do you know what? Just not into it. Could we see then Renault for sale? Yep. Ah. Um, hang on. Sorry. That was, a, that was a very quick yes. I didn't mean that. I meant that. No, no time to caveat it, I'm see... afraid. <laughs> <laughs> not that we could see Renault for sale. What I mean is that I think, yes, there's a power vacuum for sure. I think, yes, he was the person that pushed it. And I think that 
when these kind of things happen, and it's, I guess it's a little bit similar with Sergio Marchionne as well, that when these things happen, people always look to make a name for themselves. So if Carlos Ghosn gets replaced by someone who says, well, look, let's drop the F1 program because it's costing us three, $400 million a year, um, and let's spend that money elsewhere, then they could make a name for themselves. I get that. Uh, would you think that a lot of what's going to happen with the Formula One program is going to be down to what ultimately becomes of the originally proposed merger between Nissan and Renault? Because a lot, I've seen numbers for the cost savings that they've worked out, and they're fairly substantial. And this is bearing in mind that Nissan now has its own Formula E program, although admittedly much cheaper than Formula One that they're trying to run. So is it going to be a thing where we see Nissan becoming the seat of power? Or is it going to be a thing where it's just going to be a divorce and all the fun little toys are going to get lost paying off the lawyers? No, I don't. Um, a divorce between Nissan and Renault, you mean? I don't think so. I think the Renault-Nissan alliance is pretty is pretty strong. Um, and I think each each party brings something different to the to the business. Um, and I don't think there's any, there's any risk of the Renault-Nissan alliance crumbling. Um, all I'm talking about is their participation within, well, not necessarily their participation, but the appetite for them to fund it. Um, and I think we all know that if Renault are going to take that next step, then they need to throw, um, I mean, it's, it's not a great thing to say, but unfortunately they need to throw a hell of a lot of money at it because they're, they're still 50% the size of Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull. Okay. So I've noticed an interesting thing, which is that both, I think it's uh, Force India, which is no longer Force India, it's now what, Racing Point, and Renault are spending right around what is the proposed endpoint of the cost cap glide path. So would it also be a thing that depending upon what happens with the proposed financial regulation of Formula One in the next set of regulations going into effect in 2021, that might also affect whether they decide to continue participating or not. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, yes, is, is, is the quick answer to that. I mean, what, what you can't underestimate is how much they've thrown into it so far um, and what their end goal or, the, or the, the end game was when they originally came into it. Um, they set themselves targets, which they haven't hit. And I, I, I saw those targets when they were buying the team. And they, they literally they, they took the form of a position that they wanted to finish. And by last season, they were supposed to have finished in the top three. And by next season, they're supposed to be world champions. That was the targets that they set themselves when they sold it to the, the board members. Um, so they literally said, this is where we're going to be. We're going to be you know, top five. Then we're going to be top four. Then we're going to be in top three. And then we're going to be challenging. I think they said challenging for the world championship by this, by this coming season. Um, and clearly that's not going to happen um, unless they really throw some cash at it. Um, I think the appointment of Ricciardo is a good sign because that's, that's a big step for Renault because um, they've gone outside of their usual, you know, they don't pay Hulkenberg a huge amount of money. They, they didn't pay Carlos Sainz a huge amount of money. Both Hulkenberg and Carlos Sainz brought big sponsorship with them. Um, you've seen Carlos Sainz has taken his beer company to McLaren uh, which is how these these guys work. So I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, the Estrella Galicia, it's called. So the McLaren did a, we've signed a new sponsor, and it was Carlos Sainz walking through the factory with um, some non-alcohol-free uh, beer. Um, but yeah, he brings that. It's a Spanish sponsor that he brings with him. So these guys always bring the money. So Ricciardo was a big step for them because he's he doesn't necessarily bring a huge amount of sponsorship with him 
and he costs he costs money because he's one of those top drivers. So that's a big step for them. Um, so next season's going to be, I think it's going to be a, a not make or break, but it's going to be a decisive season for Renault. I think it's worth noting as well that sometime panelist Anil Palmer, who makes terrible bets with me that are invalid due to the status of Force India now, uh, also <laughs> predicted that Renault would be world champions uh, or challenging for titles by 2018. And th- there's there's so many people actually that a surprising amount of people actually that were wishing Renault well. And whether it's just down to the fact that they just want more competition in F1, people have kind of it's almost been a you know a very fanboy thing of going yeah they'll definitely be challenging for the title oh no we never said that and and people have kind of reduced their expectations of renault to the point now that i don't think that anyone is truly expecting a renault resurgence in 2019 or expecting them to be in the top 3 i mean i th- i think the difficulty is that until there's a big rule change or until there's a big there's a big switch in in the rules of regulations or the, you know, whether it's aerodynamic or it's engine, it's going to be difficult to catch Mercedes, whatever anyone says. I know Ferraris have, Ferrari have closed the gap hugely, but Mercedes had such a head start that that curve is, you know, it's getting smaller, but it's, 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 ever, it's ever harder to get there. Um, so I think the engine issue is, is their biggest problem. I think until, until things change, until there's a, there's a huge, I mean, the, the aero regulation changes for next season really aren't, I don't think, are not going to be that huge. They're not going to be, it's not going to be a big uh, game changer. Yeah, along those lines, the chat room points out, Warren, and specifically that Renault have actually just finished upgrading their engine testing facility. And as such, it's kind of, what would you call that, inefficient businesses? It's a sunk cost at this point. It's going to cost them less to test and become reliable because they've already spent the money and built the thing. In Viri. They've upgraded Viri. They've upgraded the engine testing bay. Or so the chat room is telling me. And and I seem to think that is generally accurate. And they've been, you know, fairly happy. We've heard a lot of happy talk from Viri about the new engine. So I I think what's, I I need to be a little bit careful as to how I approach this. But what was interesting with Renault whilst (laughs) they were with Red Bull is that they were very much being pushed along by Red Bull. Um, at an uncomfortable pace, at a pace that Renault weren't happy with. Um, and that happened, it happened towards the end of the uh, the previous generation of engines before the hybrid era. So when Red Bull were winning championships upon championships, I know that at Enstone, um, Lotus were very much pushed backwards and, and all the updates and all the emphasis was placed on Red Bull, which was understandable. They wanted to give the best of the, of the updates, the best of the engines to themselves. Um, but I know that Red Bull were pushing them very, very hard um, to bring updates, to make sure that updates were working, to test updates. Red Bull had their own engineers working at Viri on the dyno, um, and they were bringing updates through faster than they wanted. So what I'm trying to say is that now that Red Bull have effectively, well, now that Red Bull have gone away, um, have gone to Honda, I think Renault are now left on their own, Um to push the updates themselves. And I have a feeling that they're not going to push as hard as Red Bull were making them push because they want to make sure that everything is absolutely right and done properly. Um, And I feel that that might hold them back. Oh, interesting. So you're saying the lack of Red Bull pushing them will hold them back. Yes. So they're not free from the tyranny of Red Bull. They are actually 
without the whip hand that was making them push along. That's uh, yeah. In well, my yeah, that's my that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that leads nicely onto our our first bit of news. I suppose that is worthy of a bumper. Uh, uh, stay with me while I stall while I'm finding it. But here we go. I'm there. <laughs> Big dirty news. That's the kind of slick production that gets you on FM radio, kids. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the launches, and let's start with the Spec C engine that we think we heard in the McLaren on their engine fire-up. Let me put it this way. Missed Apex podcast understands that the sound coming from the McLaren Renault engine was very much like the sound coming from the Spec C engine last season and shared a lot of its flaws, i.e. it was unable to run at tickover and ended up hurting itself and blowing itself up. What insight might you have, Mr. Carter, on, on, on as to why the new 2019, presumably Spec D Renault, I don't know how that works if they start again, sounds a lot like it is either the same engine from last year or carries a lot of the same problems from last year? Well, <laughs> well it's an iteration of last year's engine. So each, I mean, they, they don't, it's very, very difficult for them to, to completely start from scratch to, to go back to the to the no no i'm gonna have to stop you there miss i can tell we've done this eight times now and i can look in your eyes you're not thinking of how to best explain <laughs> this you're thinking of what you can tell us uh but it, it's interesting because the world is watching renault had lots of pr problems with red bull red bull very keen to put it at the doorstep of of renault those problems and mclaren also a team not shy of putting things on the doorstep of the engine manufacturer Everyone's kind of looking at this season for Renault to go, all right, well, if you don't turn up with a good engine this season, I think everyone's just going to kind of emotionally disengage. I th- yeah, I th- but what I'm trying to say to you is that the engine is an iteration of, of last year's engine. It's, they've, they've not gone back to the drawing board and started afresh. So therefore, any noises that people may think they've heard or any sounds or any characteristics are going to they're going to carry over from one year to the next unfortunately that's that's just the nature of the beast hannah hassel in the chat room says carter please tell us all the secret things we promise we won't tell (laughs) (laughs) that's as much as i'm saying so i think it's an iteration as i've said three times now of of the previous engine so therefore the characteristics are going to be the same i mean i remember um so back in 2014, when Renault originally designed, I think they put the MG UK at the back of the engine, and therefore there was a there was a there was a rod that attached the the the, the motor to the MG UK. And when we went to, when we moved to Mercedes, we realised that Mercedes had put the MG UK close to the front. So therefore, this this long rod that had all this torque running through it was much much closer to the motor at the front. And Renault realized that but they couldn't do anything about it by that stage they'd already designed the engine it was already um you know specified and and there was nothing they could do so i think it's difficult i think as the engine with the engine regulations remaining static then gradually they will catch up but i i don't think they they can't go back to the drawing board so it's going to be an iteration on the original engine see trumpets what i'm hearing when i hear the word iteration is (laughs) it's the same engine it's a good word (laughs) it's a great word but if that's the case, why and and boy do I hate to be the person to 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 put this to you, 
But we have heard sig- that there are significant architectural changes to the engine. We've heard your friend, uh, your personal... I think I'm losing you. I think I'm losing <laughs> signal. Your close personal friend. ...say that this is the... that this power unit they have produced is what they intended to make all along. We've heard there are significant architecture changes. And if that's the case, how how do we square iteration with is is was this just PR to make everybody happy? Is there possibly I mean, is this a Franken engine and there's actually something different going to show up to testing? Uh, if you have personal knowledge you can't speak of, clearly we understand that. But in broader terms, you know, is it possible we could hear what we're hearing, but they were also not kidding about what they were saying? Because I mean, we've heard there's plus 50 horsepower in the new power unit. I've also the rumors say that there's still some uh, reliability concerns, specifically with the turbocharger. I think I'm definitely losing connection. Um, <laughs> I may I may freeze and fall offline. No, I I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to go. I mean, it's. The engine is, I think they have managed to find some more power in the engine. Um, I think they have definitely got reliability issues with that power. I think that is very similar to where they were at the end of last season in terms of that was what Red Bull, and I think that's fairly public, that Red Bull were pushing for the latest iteration, the latest example, let's say, I won't use the word iteration, latest example of the engine, but Renault weren't putting it in their own car because they were worried about the reliability side of things. And you saw Ricciardo and, and Verstappen have multiple failures because they were pushing things to the limit. So I think that there is, there's definite gains that they've made there. Um, my, okay, then go back to what you heard when you heard the startup at McLaren. And that could have been last year's engine. There's no, there's no, nothing to say that that was definitely this year's engine. They could have, um, fitted a Renault engine into their car. And you have to remember as well for launches and for testing, the cars that are launched next week or the week after are not necessarily going to be the cars that start in Melbourne. In fact, they 99% won't be the cars that start in Melbourne because the launches are more to do with sponsors and drivers and color schemes and marketing and social media and, and all those wonderful things. Great. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. So let me ask, because you've been there, is the launch a publicity event or is it a technical event? It's a publicity event, 100% a publicity event. So, so we, if, I think one of the years, we launched with a, with a computer-generated um, graphic. It wasn't even a car. We didn't even have a car. Lots and lots and lots of the teams will, will launch with last year's car, just with a few little cosmetic bits and pieces and maybe a new livery on it. Okay, and so... Following along those lines, then would the fire up of the car also be a publicity event? The big, the big change is when you've got a new engine supplier. That's, that's the big issue. So, yes, it is a publicity event. But if you're going from um, Honda to Renault, then it is a big, it's, it's a big event because you've fitted a Renault engine into your F1 car. Now, have you fitted the, the engine that's going to be driving the car in Melbourne in, in a month's time? Probably not. Um, but you have fitted a Renault engine into the car. And it's difficult to do that because the change from one engine supplier to another is, is, is I mean, it's completely, the architecture of the engine is completely different, um, as I'm sure you're aware. So it is a big job to fit a new engine in. And I think that's, I think it's more publicity. It's more giving themselves a slap on the back, um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Mr. Carter, you've been very generous with your comments so far. We're going to give you a chance to go and get yourself some refreshment while we talk about some business here at Mist Apex. 
You can follow the show on Twitter by searching at MissedApexF1. We're on Facebook as well. And me and Matt are both on Facebook and Twitter. And you can friend us on Facebook by searching Matt Trumpets. Uh, that You go by Matt Trumpets on Facebook, don't you, Matt? All pictures of trumpets all the time. And cats. And cats, that's true. And also you can friend me by searching Spanners Ready and all that good stuff on any social media you fancy. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, thank you very much to our new patrons. We have been trying our best to make it worthwhile to be a Missed Apex patron. www.patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We are doing an ad-free RSS feed for this podcast. And also Matt and I, we did our first patron waffle cast. How much fun was that? That felt kind of dad hubbish, except we no longer tell horrifically oversharing, swear-bound personal stories, but we still kind of chat about our lives and stuff. Now you tell me. That's yeah. just really, that's not fair. Yeah, I didn't yeah, tip no, you it's... off. <laughs> it's good because we're keeping our podcast hand in because I think deep down you and I both think that Dad Hub will be resurgent at some point or some version of it. Yeah, no, there was there was a lot of promise inherent in that show and we just got to sort of keep something rolling along till it takes shape. But to be clear, all the old episodes of Dad Hub have been deleted forever. Forever. <laughs> but uh, no, it was good. You know, we just started talking about a bit of admin, our personal lives. And then we ended up having like a great row about the Singapore miracle lap because you thought that Lewis Hamilton's lap in Singapore, the qualifying lap was a miracle. And I was saying, actually, it's circumstance, nothing to write home about. And that was just 10 minutes of us yelling at each other. And if you, if you like that, I guess that is an attractive feature. Yeah, it is. And you're still incorrect in your conclusion. It just was flattered. Uh, find those arguments out by going to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. You can also join us karting in, in person the 20th of April. We're going to go to Rye House. There are still a few places there and it's also worth getting onto the reserve list as well. So contact me spannersready at gmail.com if you want to go on the reserve list or you can just buy your ticket by going to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting. And there you can also buy a sim racing ticket, although I believe there's only two spaces left for that. Let's move on to some Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Well, I suppose, Matt, you're going to want to talk about that businessy sale of F1 what's-it thingy and get Mr. Carter's views on such things. Yeah, it was a, it was a funny thing, you know. I did something I rarely do hop on Twitter, and immediately <laughs> in my column devoted to Formula One, there's this big comment that Liberty is looking to sell Formula One, either to have new partners or sell the thing on entirely, and that the C-suite folks are just so confused as to why they're not being immediately successful in this brand new venture of theirs, and so on and so forth. And certain people who have covered Formula One uh, from a business point of view in the past had liked this comment and chimed in. They'd heard from sources that the paddock was that um what was it i believe it was daytona they'd heard there were some inquiries being made and i don't know i it would not surprise me if they were looking for equity partners it would surprise me if they were looking to sell it off entirely mostly because they've sunk a lot of money into it and they're not going to get it back out and it seems like a fairly short period of time given the, their stated plans for the sport so you're a clever businessman. What's your take on all this? Or do you have maybe some information yourself that you'd like to share? Uh, I don't have any inside information. My take on it is that they, uh, I think they, um, 
I think they bought something and they didn't really know exactly what they bought when they when they originally bought it. And I think that's a lot to do with the way that Bernie ran the, the sport and the way that he did deals. And I think there was a few skeletons in the closet when they when they bought the the the, the formula. Um I also think that they have not necessarily been able to make the strides that they thought they were going to be able to make. I think they they really thought there was some low hanging fruit that they could they could uh, they could take straight away, and they haven't. Um, so therefore, I think it's entirely understandable that they'd be looking for equity part equity partners. Um, I I can see that I, I can see that being a very standard thing that they would do. Sorry, me at the back, uh, Mr. Carter. What is an equity partner? Someone who brings money. Yes, and takes some equity. So they I take don't. some shares in the they take some shares in the business and they put some money into it. So at the moment, Liberty were hundred percent owners. Um, so they could turn around to someone and say, "Give us a chunk of cash and we'll give you twenty five percent, ten percent, fifteen percent, whatever." So instead um, of buying a team, Mister Carter, you can just buy F one and make me what? the new Will Buxton. Sorry, Buxton, your even, reign has ended. I don't even know if it's for sale or what they're trying to do. I mean, all I'm saying is I think it would make sense that they would look for equity partners because I think that's where they probably are in their in their business model. Uh, I don't think they would look to sell the whole thing for exactly what you say, Matt. I don't think they would get their money back. I think they, they made a big punt on it and I'm not sure that at this precise moment in time they would get their cash back. A narrator voice. He did know all those things. Trumpets. So you mentioned skeletons in the closet. Could we consider these, um, because I'm very, very old, the equivalent of the old poison pill in a takeover? Or were they no, just- no, no, no. I, I get what I get. What you mean? I don't think that Bernie deliberately put skeletons in the closet. I think that they just happened to be there because of the way that Bernie ran the business. Um, and I think that what has happened with the um, the promoters in the last few weeks is testament to that. I think that there was some side deals done with Brazil, for example. Um, I know he has a he, Bernie has a an interest in Brazil, but I think there were side deals done with Brazil. I think there were side deals done in Germany. I think there were side deals done all over the place, um, and I don't know I don't know how much of that was actually physically put down in writing because of the way that Bernie was. That you know, there's a lot of uh, things done on a handshake, um, and I think a lot of things came out of the closet, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I guess you could look at it, but Liberty, you know, they're big boys. They spent yeah. a lot of money and time on due diligence. So. Exactly the point that Mark Jackson just said. Skeletons, they did a one-year due diligence. These are words I don't really understand. Any mistake is all there. So are we putting that on Liberty Media, I'm assuming? Um, some of that fault does lie with them. My curiosity is how much of the Sky TV deal that it uh, was an impact as well, because they were kind of saddled with that. Do you think that maybe they thought they could get out of it? And now they're saddled with one of the biggest F1 markets. I don't know if it is the biggest. Suddenly being reduced from 4.5 million down to 400,000. What do you mean? Sorry, what do you mean by the Sky deal? You mean the yeah. Sky TV? Yeah, so the UK audience has now kind of yep. gone by. It's been Dwindled. literally, literally yeah. decimated. Yeah. I mean, but I, but I have a feeling that that was part of Liberty's plan. No, that wasn't part of Liberty's plan, but part of their plan was to drive everyone through. I mean, Liberty are, I think we've discussed this before, Liberty are Liberty Media. So they are a media company. And I think part of their reason for buying the sport was to drive everyone onto their own 
website, their own streaming, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever it may be. I think that was part and parcel of what they wanted from day one. I think they wanted those 200 million fans, whether they be in India or the UK or in Mexico, to be signing up for their $12 a month so that they could watch it. And I think they'll gradually try and get rid of all... I believe they'll try and get rid of all terrestrial uh, feed so that everyone has to go via themselves, via them. So, so basically they want to be the sole over the top provider for all formula one watching. That's, that's that. This is just my opinion. This is what I think, but I think that's where they're trying to get to. And that would make sense because as I say, they are their Liberty media. They're, they're a media company. So if they've looked at, um, let's forget it's formula one, forget anything about it. They've just, they've looked and they've said, right, we have something that's watched by 250 million people every two weeks. Um, if we can drive those 250 million people through and onto our um, streaming service, then we're going to get 250 million people paying $10 a month. And, you know, the math very quickly adds up. Right. So I had thought I saw a year or so ago an interview with Sean Bratches in which he stated that Liberty had a percentage of races they felt should be on terrestrial or free to air television. I don't remember what it was, maybe around 30%, 35%. And in that sense, it sort of reminded me of how mixed martial arts market itself. They do pay per view events, but then they also have events that anyone can access. Yeah. With regard to that, do you think they are just waiting out the current TV contracts so that they can renegotiate and get what they want? I'm going to go a little bit off script here, but that in in its entirety is the reason that Liberty Media don't understand Formula One. They're in a nutshell. Because, you know, you and all the people listening, I assume, are big F1 fans. So if you were to say to them, okay, you can watch the whole season, or there's a whole season of F1, there's 21 races, we're going to allow you to watch four. Is that okay with you? You know, the other, the, the rest of the races, you're not going to be able to watch because they're, so you're not going to do that. You're not, you know, you're not a fan. You're, a fan wants to watch every single race and they want to understand every nuance and every, every little tiny thing that happens, every pit stop blunder, every, every puncture, every, all the things. Preach. So Liberty saying, okay, yes, you can dive in for 35% of the races. Um, aren't you lucky? I mean, just to me means that they don't understand what a Formula One fan is. Well, presumably, if I was that much of a fan, I would be willing to pay to have access to all that extra material. I think, from my point of view, what he's saying is if we have X percent of races on on free-to-air television, then that's basically free marketing. That's marketing for us, and we'll take the pay loss over having everything on pay-per-view, which actually makes us more money, which is why Bernie had gone there in the first place. Yeah, but I think the, I think what he was trying to say, and I'm, and I'm not sure he was coming at it from the same angle as you are, I think what he's trying to say is, look how great we are. We're giving you three or four races for free. Aren't we amazing? Whereas what he's really saying is, if you're a fan, you're going to have to pay anyway. So... I nearly said something rude, which I won't say. So, you know, he's saying, go, you know, you have to pay. It's Basically, they're saying... you. Basically, he's saying you have to pay whatever. So we're going to give you a few races for free just to tantalize you, just to, just to tickle your taste buds, but then we're going to make you pay anyway. So it's, it's largely irrelevant. You know, they either go fully um, free-to-air in certain territories or they don't. I, don't. I don't see that giving three or four races is just going to upset people more than, more than it's going to help, yeah, in my opinion. It does feel like a bit of an insult, trumpets to me. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely understand what is being said here and accept that the context might have been different than my understanding of it. 
And um, I th- and I and I genuinely think that that is one of the reasons that Liberty don't really understand the market and the, and what they bought. And I think they're beginning to realise that more and more as as each season goes by. I mean, I saw um, Chase Carey talking to Bernie in Abu Dhabi. I was stood in the room. They were talking at a table, and the conversation was bizarre. Chase Carey was basically asking Bernie what he thought about Ferrari and Mercedes. Oh. It's just like questions that you would not believe that somebody who's in charge of Formula One would be asking. Wait a minute. Else. Is there any chance that Chase Carey just thought that Bernie Eccleston was an elderly fan? Uh, no. <laughs> it, was in, it, was in, uh, it was in Liberty. I was waiting to see Sean Bratches and, uh, in Abu Dhabi and I spoke to Bernie. I saw Bernie came in with his wife. Bernie wanted to speak to Chase and they sat down at a table across from me and literally Chase Carey was saying, so do you think that Ferrari are going to challenge Mercedes next year? Be really good for us if we had more teams at the front. And you, I could see Bernie was looking at him as if to say, well, it's kind of up to okay, you. <laughs> you don't really understand. Yeah, exactly. Chase Carey's basically saying, no, it'd be amazing if we had more teams challenging at the front. And um, it, it would be amazing. I just, it, yeah, so it would be amazing if my job got done for me somehow, wouldn't it? That, that's, that I, just, I just, I honestly, and this is a terrible thing to say, and I maybe shouldn't say it, but I just don't think they understand what they bought. I don't think they understand Formula One. I think they're trying to, I was going to say, is bastardize a terrible word? It's not, it's not a swear word, is it? But anyway, I think they're trying, I think they're trying to make it like NASCAR. I think they're trying to, I think they're trying to dumb it down. I think they're trying to, I think they think that they've bought, um, something they can manipulate and they can, they can force, into a hole that not that they can't necessarily do. I was always of the impression they had bought it to leverage it for a larger purpose, for their own purpose. Yes, because they had a lot of attached eyeballs with with relatively decent income. But that's kind of why Bernie made. And I know people will not necessarily agree with this, but that's kind of why Bernie made it work. Because Bernie loved the sport, had been involved in the sport for all those years. He kind of made it, took it to where it was. Yes, you can argue that he went to some markets that he maybe shouldn't have done or or that weren't necessarily the right way for Formula One to go at the time. But he did take it worldwide and he lived and breathed Formula One. And I don't think that Liberty do that. I think Liberty look at the bottom line much more than is necessarily healthy for the sport. Um, Maybe we should move on now. No, no, there will be no moving on. Mira 303... (laughs) Iffy says, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to let you get away with dropping that one. What is Mr. Carter doing talking to Sean Bretches? Are you just, you know, swapping colour schemes for your new condos? Yes, that's exactly what we were doing. Good. There you go. That is your I was, art- asking, I was asking him for advice on his sideburns. I think they're, uh, yeah, they're amazing. That the is- way he cultures his... The facial hair that's going on <laughs> with the guys that run Liberty is... Uh, is, to, is something to behold. That is your question answered, chat room. Don't listen to the word. Look in his eyes, not around his eyes, into his eyes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. 
And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Now then, there's another question, which is Kedanath Aya asks, ask Carter about the 2019 Honda versus Renault, as in who do you think is going to come out on top of that? But maybe before we Honda. get to that, Oh, good. You've just chimed in there. Honda, you're optimistic. See, I've got this nagging feeling that Honda, although it might have the performance on the bench, that it's just going to keep blowing up. I've just got oh, hang this. On, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We need to, you need to, the question needs a bit more specifics. So do I think that Renault, okay, let's, okay, I'll ask you then, Spanners. Oh, wow. Do I've you never think that a Renault powered car will win, a, will win a race next year? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, really? hang on. No, no, yes. So I'm, I'll just instantly, my mind went to Red Bull and I went Singapore, exactly. Singapore, so Monaco, Mexico. Okay. But yeah, so no, so, definitely not. So, so, so how we gauge success. So do you think a Renault powered car will win a race next season? You said no. Do you think that a Honda powered car could win a race next season? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So how do we gauge success? When you say who's going to win Renault or Honda, I don't know what win means. I guess finish higher in the championship. Do I think that a Red Bull powered, a Red Bull Honda, uh, collaboration is going to finish higher than a, than the Renault Works team. Yes, I do. And if that's how you gauge a win, mm. then then that's a win. We we could go deeper. I mean, if go McLaren start doing really well with the Renault, and <laughs> well, you might how's that going to happen? I don't know, but you might argue if if McLaren start doing like top fives trumpets, then you could say, well, they're doing better than they were under the Honda that kept blowing up. I am but even, modest- even. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, no, no. Uh, I see where you're going. I'm modestly optimistic for McLaren based on entirely, um, entirely on facts that we cannot confirm. But if they are true, then they might well exceed everyone's expectations for them this year with the Renault power plant. If you're asking my personal opinion, I would say if Renault are there or thereabouts with Haas, then, then you've really, then they've done a really good job. Especially. So I thought that even McLaren, even McLaren were for once not bigging themselves up or not setting expectations <laughs> too high this for next season. These are totally based on uh, single source rumors that we cannot possibly. Okay, make. Matt. So, so you think that McLaren Renault is going to finish higher than the Renault Works team? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that at certain races, they might very well do that sort of thing. And that in general, they will do better than people will expect them to based on what we've heard. Okay, but the question from the chat room was whether Renault, I think it was, I mean, yeah. it was fairly ambiguous, but it was whether Renault, well, who's going to win, Honda, Renault? Yeah, it was just Honda versus Renault. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a terrible question. Never no, ask the question again. No, it's not a terrible question again. at all. My answer <laughs> is that I think that Honda, in, in the back of the Red Bull, is going to finish higher in the Constructors' Championship than any Renault-powered car. And I think that McLaren will finish behind the Renault Works team. 
And I think that's the reason that Ron Dennis went to Honda in the first place, because I think that Renault, now that they've got rid of Red Bull, that were a bit of a thorn in their side, that didn't even call the engine of Renault, they called it a Tag Heuer, that did all those terrible, horrible things. Now that Renault have got rid of them, um, they have got a little bit more uh, confidence. And I think they will not give McLaren the upgrades that they give to themselves. And therefore, I think that the Renault works team will finish ahead of McLaren. But both will finish behind Red Bull. So just to chip in from the chat room, Nature Sunnerman says Red Bull will have more outright power from Honda, but the Renault works team will win over in the championship due to Honda reliability issues. Now, I think that's a bit extreme, but I, I do predict that, that we might see instead of a smoother curve that Red Bull might have had with Renault, it's going to be less smooth. Trumpets. That's why I think it's going to be spiky. So the odd brilliant result, but then lots of like, you know, down spikies as well. Well, I hate to be really boring about it, but if you just go back and look at look at the budget levels, there's if Renault get as close to Red Bull as Haas did on a few occasions last year, that'll be an enormous triumph for them. Red Bull spend as much money as they're in the leagues of the Ferrari and Mercedes, and you'd expect their results to correlate rather closely with that. So yes. last year, on a couple of occasions in qualifying and practice, Haas was legitimately faster than a Red Bull. That's extremely impressive from my point of view. If Renault can pull off a similar thing, then I think it's extremely impressive from their point of view. Uh, yeah, but Haas had a Ferrari engine. Yeah, but supposedly if the new engine is that much better, <laughs> then... it's, well, it, But it's not going to be, is it? I... <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we, we all started from day one that I walked into this chat room, is that, um, or into this shed, is that the engines are so important in this formula, unfortunately. Yep. And um, I, I just genuinely don't think that Renault are going to have made a big enough step to be challenging. I think that Honda have. Um, I think that everything they did last year in Toro Rosso, there's a, you know, Red Bull waited. They waited and they watched what was going on with Honda and Toro Rosso. They waited before they made that decision. Um, they could have forced Renault to continue to supply them if they really wanted to. So wait a minute. Are you saying that engines are even more important than tires? Because I don't know, my heart might be broken. <laughs> and this is why everyone hates trumpets. How about some quick Q&A to finish off? Hey, tell you what I saw tire-wise, if you want to talk tire-wise, in Abu Dhabi, no. <laughs> uh, Pirelli were, um, they were showing off their new 18-inch uh, design of tire, which is very <laughs> bizarre looking for a Formula One. So it was there. They, they physically had the tire there on a rim as a, like an example of what they were going to, they're hoping to bring soon into the, into the formula. But it's bizarre looking. And to see an F1 car with an 18 inch, uh, wheel would be strange. Mm, anyway, tires. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Let's, let's talk more about tires. Hopefully the next Q and A from the chat room will be about tires. Oh, no, it isn't. What a shame. Just jumping back a little bit to Liberty, Don Byrne asks, so where does Ross Braun fit into the picture with Kerry Liberty? Braun knows F1. Is he just a gun for hire? I'm assuming yes. And has he not been utilised enough then? Uh, I think he's uh, he's very much on the uh, sporting side, if you like. So Case and uh, – sorry, Chase, not Case. Chase and Sean Bratches are very much on the business side. And I think that Ross is on the sporting side. So he's the one that is – 
putting together the the working group that's looking for a, to to make overtaking easier, et cetera, et cetera. But I think from a business point of view, it's very much Chase and Sean that are reporting to Malone and the guys that that run Liberty. So I think Ross is there, but he's there to try and push the sporting side and to try and help the sporting side. And I don't necessarily think he's got their ear in terms of viewers and people watching and TV deals. So in that triumvirate, is he is he Caesar or is he one of the other two that I definitely know that I assume were lesser? Let's say Julius Caesar. <laughs> I think they're all fairly similar, but I just think they've got their own their own wheelhouses that they work in. And I think Ross is very much in the in the sporting uh, the regulation side of things, and the other two are business, much more business orientated. Mark Jackson says. Matthew Carter is such a great guest. We agree. And I've been trying to convince you, Matthew Carter, to go on Twitter so that people can follow you because you would instantly get a billion followers and lots of love and attention. And you're obviously not as hollow as me because I, I crave that. But you refuse stubbornly to go on Twitter. Are we, are we edging you any closer? I'm, I'm on Twitter, but I'm just private. private. That doesn't count. Come on, let's do it. Let's do, okay. a, let's do a Carter on map account. No. No, <laughs> that was a hard no. Look into his eyes. The eyes said no as well. Uh, but Mark Jackson says, Carter, he's such a great guest. We agree. Ask him about management of Ferrari and com- com- combining mm. Benito's position as the tech and team principal together. Is that workable? Uh, short answer, no. Oh. He's going he's gonna to need some help. He's definitely going to need some help because he's uh, the being a team principal is a whole job in itself and it, it just in terms of time and effort and for example when you go to a race there's going to be times when the team principals are dragged into meetings with um with liberty at the last minute and if you're trying to be the technical boss the technical guru trying to run what's going on on track at the same time is difficult team principal is people probably don't want to hear this but team principal is very much more media sponsor um, going to meetings to be the person that is representing the team, whereas the technical guy is the person that is, if they've got issues on track, ultimately needs to be the person that makes a makes a decision as to whether or not they change the angle of the rear wing or, or whatever. <laughs> so sticking with our Rome analogies, particularly fitting with the Italian outfit, uh, Ariba Vene as an emperor was very much, you know, a little bit, shall we say, a little bit Nero. So, you know, people didn't want to answer him back. Is Benito going to be a bit more delegating down to the Senate and asking them for their help? I mean, ultimately, I don't know because I, I don't know. I don't know Benito. I don't know the guy. I don't know his personality. Um, Benito, and Ariva Bene, I met a few times, but he, I, I think he's got very bad press since he since he left. I'm, I'm not sure he was as bad as everyone made out. Um, I think he was trying the Ferrari team principal, the Ferrari senior management positions are very, very difficult. I think that even James Allison realized that, you know, it's a, it's a whole different world to any, anything else in Formula One. And I think, it, I think it's difficult to, to, make, uh, to, make it, to make yourself successful in that position. I think Ariva Bene did what he thought was the best way to do it, which was very much to alienate the media and to try and be very insular. And I don't think that worked. Bonetti, from what I know and from what I see of him, seems to be very technical and doesn't seem like the sort of person that's going to be dynamic in front of a TV camera. Excellent. Well, I think we're we're just about out of time there. And since you're not going to plug anything, uh, we'll hand over to Matt Trumpets to have one last interjection. 
Well, I think, uh, and it's come up in the chat room, which is the only reason I bring it up, is people are very interested to know what you make of the whole Formula One Promoters Association. Shall we call it a rebellion? A rebellion minus a few races? I think, yeah. Uh, I, th I mean, I, I don't know what the rest of the question is going to be, and I'll, t I'll try and be quick. But I, I think that they, the, the promoters, um, have the, 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 so the promoters association meet, I think, twice a year. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't, they would never see each other from all over different parts of the world. But I think they were expecting much more from Liberty as well. I think that Bernie pushed them very, very hard in terms of, um, charges for races into but they all signed the agreements they went into everything open i mean i'm sitting in montreal and i know for a fact that the montreal grand prix signed some crazy deal because they wanted to keep formula one but they agreed uh you know there was a there was an accumulator in terms of how much they were paying per year etc etc so i think all the promoters kind of accept what they've done but they thought that liberty were going to walk in there and they were going to save them or they were going to help them or they were going to make things much better and I don't think Liberty have done anything different to what was going on before. And I think that's why there's a bit of a pushback. Mr. Carter, thank you very much. It's been a very enjoyable chat. And what always happens when you're on is I go, well, that was a lovely chat with Matthew. That's great. And then I get into the edit and I've got lots of messages from people going, did you catch what he said about the thing and what that means and what that implies? And I go, oh, yeah. So I'm sure there's loads to dig out. And I, I'm the first listener to these episodes. Thank you very much. You've been with us for eight episodes. So we can't we can't treat you too badly when you come to the shed. Oh, no, it's good. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Be before we go... You did mention that you might have a bit of uh, insight into why Daniel Ricciardo has ended up at Renault. <laughs> oh no, you did messaged I, me. I oh no, <laughs> did you say I've got some insight, yes, but don't no, tell I anyone? Did, I did, I did, I did, I did. I know I I was with um, some people who were in the know in Abu Dhabi, and uh, but I think you've I think you've touched on it. And I think you're pretty much accurate. I think he uh, well, I know. Verstappen signed a very, very good deal. Red Bull obviously put all their cards in the Verstappen uh, in the Verstappen side of the garage, if you like. They offered a deal to Ricciardo. Ricciardo wasn't asking for the same as Verstappen by any shape or form. He was asking for less, but he was asking for more than he was on before that. And I think that Red Bull basically said no. Well, I, I know that Red Bull said no, and Red Bull felt that there was no way he was going to leave. Ricciardo got upset and made a few phone calls and the guys at Renault seized on the opportunity. Um, they so everything that I think, and again, I think you've spoken about it and I think it's in the public domain. Ocon was going to go to Renault. That was all pretty much agreed. Suddenly the phone call from Ricciardo came out of the blue. He said, look, you know, I'm not happy with what I'm being offered here at Red Bull. I'd, I'd consider. And then Carlos Ghosn, who was still in position at the time, and Cyril had some conversations and they said, okay, well, if we can make heaven and earth move to, to get Ricciardo here, then we should do it. Um, and he wasn't, he's not being paid as much at Renault as he was going to get at Red Bull. So that's how much he was upset with the, uh, the way that things were. It wasn't for money. I think it was more to do with young upstart Verstappen. I don't want to upset any Dutch listeners. But uh, I think do it. Was it. To they do hate us the anyway. That, <laughs> it's fine. I think, it, I think it was to do with the fact that Verstappen had signed this deal and Ricciardo had said, look, you know, I don't want the same as him, but just give me this and, and I'll continue and I'm happy. And they said no. You know what it is, Trumpets? It's, 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 it's belly tickling, isn't it? Renault tickled Ricciardo's belly. And I, sure. I, I, I like a good belly tickle myself. And he's yeah. going to be the, he's going to be the big fish at Renault. You know, he's, he's, he's the number one guy there and he clearly wasn't at Red Bull and it was, he was moving more and more into the the Verstappen show. 
Yeah, I, I think he had a sense based on their response to him that the atmosphere would become increasingly tilted towards Max and that not based on actual track results, but on factors outside of. And as far as upsetting the Dutch fans, um, yeah, go right ahead, because the more upset they are, the better our numbers are. So, <laughs> Matt, don't admit, don't admit that policy. That's not official Miss Apex policy. <laughs> But having said all that, I think he's very, um, he's got his eyes very wide open. He knows that he's not going to set the world alight at Renault. And if he manages to get a few podiums by doing some amazing lunges and, and whatever, then that's going to be amazing. And that'll be amazing for Renault and it'll be amazing for him. But outside of that, unless things change dramatically, he's not going to be uh, challenging for world championships anytime soon, unfortunately. No, it it's really is an interesting situation, but it's also fascinating now that more people are saying this narrative that Horner kind of came out the blue. Oh, we were so surprised. Can't think, cannot think what made him possibly go to Renault. But you can see, you know, you're not as valued as your teammate. It doesn't really matter what they do on track. The money is keeping score. And if he said, all right, fair enough, I don't want X billion, but treat me with a respectful offer. I can, I can see it. From a contract point of view, but from a sporting point of view, trumpets, ouch. It's going to hurt. Gone Carter, sorry. But also, I mean, but also, Red Bull have never, this is was a bit of a step change for Red Bull as well. Red Bull never paid their drivers big money. They put them on fairly small salaries with big bonuses. Even Vettel, when he was winning four world championships, he wasn't being paid anything like what the Alonsos and the Hamiltons were being paid. Um so Red Bull made a step change with Verstappen when they signed his new contract. And that was because they were worried about Verstappen going to Mercedes. So Verstappen and his management walked in and said, you know, we're thinking of going elsewhere. And Red Bull said, OK, you know, we're going to break the bank to, to get you here. So they made that step change in terms of that they were suddenly offering big wages. So Ricciardo's then turned around and said, well, hang on a minute. So if all of a sudden you're paying this guy big wages, then you're going to pay me some big wages. And they said, well, we can't do that. Um, and I think they were arrogant enough to believe that Ricciardo would stay whatever they offered him, never believing that he was going to walk away. And then he made this decision. And who knows where it's going to go? I, I'm, I, as I said, I don't think he's going to be challenging for world championships anytime soon at Renault. But maybe it'll be a stepping stone for him to get an angle into somewhere else. I think he might have had his last podium. But anyway, that's just this podcaster's opinion. Mr. Carter, you've got one more decision left to make, and that is the winner of... Comment of the Week. Don't worry, we weren't expecting you to have scribbled them all down. We have Mr. Trumpets for that. Can you give us the shortlist of three comments, Matt? Three. Work with me here. All right, I will work with you. This is, this is challenging because there were many, many good comments for all of you who contributed today. But I will indeed hold it down to... Three. To, to be honest, in the time it's taken you to say that, we could have added an extra one, couldn't we? Really, I should put it down to two. Dom Byrne, <laughs> Alex Vangine, ex-panelist, microphones of the world can breathe easy now that the threat of repeated headbutts have been removed. The joke is that Jeans has got terrible audio discipline as well as not sticking to the racing line in iRacing and punting me off track. Ha ha ha, when's the next time you're going to be able to come on here and defend yourself? Probably ages. 
Danielson 555. The more you Google rich energy, the more questions are to be asked about where the money comes from. It's got Arrow's billionaire investor written all over it. Someone came into my office excited. Look, I found a can of rich energy and he was letting everybody taste it. And it was like everyone's putting their lurgy on this can. And I'm like, it's going to taste exactly like Red Bull. I'm not going to do that. And someone before me went, yeah, it just tastes exactly like Red Bull. So, you know, it's a good formula, isn't it? Which does show that these energy drinks are just a marketing tool. They're basically the Amway of sugar drinks, just on a massive scale. And our last contender of the day, since you've limited to me to three, is our good old friend, Nuripian, simply quoting, hold my shoe. With regards to Daniel Ricciardo <laughs> going to Renault. So that's what your choice is, Mr. Carter. Shoe. Rich energy. We'll go with... Gone. Or Sorry, I was going to say, we'll, we'll go with the shoe. We'll go with the shoe. So who said that comment, Matt? And could you read it again? Yes, our good old friend, Nuripian, with the comment of the day, hold my shoe. It's comment of the week, whatever. Comment of the week. Episode 500 or whatever. How many, how many podcasts have we done together, Matt? Something like, it's easily 500, isn't it? Easily. Enough that the wife is given up being jealous about this time. Huh? Wow. Yeah, she has to play second fiddle. <laughs> I'm going to meet your wife. I've, I'm so excited. We're going to go. No, no, no. With, with, your, with you, Matt. Not just, not behind your back. Uh, but you're, yeah. you're going to come to the UK <laughs> and you and your family are going to hang out with me and watch Mrs. Spanners on stage singing and stuff. I'm very I'm I'm almost sorry we can't work out a song or two for me to play along with the band because that would be super fun. But I will enjoy <laughs> being in the audience greatly. Yes, it will be very good. And speaking of your wife, where can people find her stuff? Is A Weaver Writes on Twitter? Yes, A Weaver Writes on Twitter. She has a book. It's in pre-release. It's called The One I Love to Hate. You can look it up on the Amazons and go buy it now. That will certainly help her out a lot. And for everyone who does buy them, thank you very much. And let's not be shy. They're mucky books. They're mucky books, Carter. That's what you hear. That's what you hear helping us endorse <laughs> is uh, Matt Trumpet's mucky book industry. All right, guys. Uh, we are going to have a little add-on onto the end of this episode where I speak to my friend Lee Coombs, who once saved Donington Park. He's a great bloke and he's got a lovely little story. So that will be tacked on after the outro music. You can follow the show on Twitter by following at MissedApexF1 and you can follow me by searching Spanners Ready everywhere. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Diaries of an F1 Boss on Miss Apex Podcast. Hi guys, I thought a nice way to end the show today is to talk about a little bit of motorsport history. We're going to talk about the time Donington Park was saved uh, after F1 did its best to cripple it. Controversial. Let's find out if that's true. I'm joined in my actual shed by Lee Coombs, who led the Save Donington campaign. How's it going, Lee? Very well, thanks Richard. First of all, let's attest, because people think this is a mythical shed, that this is in fact a real shed. I can assure you it's a real shed of the finest build quality. You said Heath Robinson before. Now yeah. you're, now you're being polite <laughs> because we're on, we're on the air. You said make yourself look good. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by Autosport journalist Chris Stevens. Hi, Chris. Hey, man. 
Uh, first of all, I'd like to talk to you too a little bit because I know you both have special connections to Donington in your heart and professional careers. For us blinkered F1 fans, we don't always understand the importance of the, some of those tracks. Lee, what does Donington Park mean to you? Well, um, I lived in Oxfordshire and uh, I would regularly drive past Silverstone to get to Donington. It's a bit more intimate it's got better corners it's got it's more undulating and i'm unfortunately old enough to remember the great 1993 um senna victory and arguably the greatest lap of all time where he went into the first corner fifth and ended the first corner first against far superior uh opposition like the two williams damon hill and uh prost but also um i love the Donington Park Museum, which used to be the uh, largest collection of Grand Prix cars in the world. Uh, I love the fact that it's the oldest uh, British circuit uh, currently still in use. We were looking at some photos of that museum and it's got things like the 7-Up car in there. The 7-Up car, the Jordan 191. I know, also know all the names of the F1 cars. <laughs> uh, you're quite a history buff, aren't you, Lee, when it comes to F1? In fact, you and I often argue uh, about whether old F1 is better than new F1. You incorrectly think that the 90s was a great era of Formula One. I think the 60s was a great era of Formula One. Even though I wasn't around, I loved the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And frankly, anything after 2000 doesn't really count because uh, it got too boring and the cars got too ugly. Oh, see, I'm the opposite. <laughs> I think anything before the end of Prost's career doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> anything after Mika Hakkinen, you can write off. <laughs> Chris Stevens, uh, you spend a lot of time at Donington Park these days. What does it mean to you? And by the way, can I just correct, Lee? If you're on a racetrack and you've got bits that go up and down, that's bad. You want to flatten that out. All tracks should be like Silverstone. <laughs> no, I mean, I think Silverstone is a great example of not needing undulations to make a great circuit. But I do love the undulations of Donington Park. And Donington's like a second home to me. It's the, my most visited circuit, um, casually and professionally. I did my first job as a journalist there, formerly testing season two. I did my first autosport job at Donington Park with the 750 Motor Club, uh, where there were 21 races on that weekend, and I had to cover every single one of them uh, amongst, I think it was like 10 different categories that were racing uh, that weekend. And I, I, I love the word that, that you used for it, Lee, the, the intimacy um, of it, because Silverstone is rather big and imposing, as are most grand prix facilities because they have to be uh, and i love the the kind of local feel that you get at, at donnington park i think it's a cracking circuit uh that is uh, is really well run uh, and uh is uh is a, just a great place to be one of the biggest selling points is the fact that you can see the vast majority of the track from one vantage point yeah you, you took the words literally out of my mouth there i was going to say you can stand in the center point and you can see over half the circuit from one point it's a uh, it's it's fantastic so tell us a little bit about what was going on uh, and i'm sure chris can weigh in on this as well uh, donnington park was running along nicely then the big bad f1 got involved uh yeah a chap called simon gillette um got involved and do, do we have to say allegedly lots in this story or no yeah, hang on let's just say the opinions stated in this following segment <laughs> are that of lee coombs and not of missed apex podcast i'm gonna be as uh impartial as i can be but uh yeah he he um basically took over uh the lease of donington park and then had very grandiose plans to host the f1 tr uh the british grand prix there which coincidentally coincided with the fact that mr ecclestone wanted to 
maybe get a bit more money out of Silverstone, perhaps. Least we can allegedly. Say. Allegedly, yes. And uh, so all of a sudden, yes, of course you can have the uh, lease, Donington. He rather um, slammed the facilities that Silverstone provided, um, Bernie did, which is uh, interesting because there are a lot of people who did not necessarily agree with his viewpoints uh, because, you know, compared to most circuits, they were actually kind of, you know, fine. They needed to be better, yes, but they weren't the worst uh, around. Uh, and so, the, the yeah, the kind of plan was to, to get Donington to, to do what Silverstone couldn't. But, but Chris, did in the end. Chris, the, the figure I read on my very cursory research, you know how much I research for Miss Apex podcast, was it was a figure of a hundred million pounds for the upgrade, and this was before the world economic crash in two thousand and eight. So, as I, as I understand it, the contract was agreed in two thousand and seven. It's pretty ambitious to upgrade this two point eight mile circuit into a Grand Prix circuit with all the facilities. Well, exactly. I, I, that was that was my first concern when I first started seeing reading about what they planned for Donington. I just said to my friend, who he and I were regular Donington visitors. Uh, we go to all the uh, really, uh, the really excellent historic stuff, Rich, that you'd probably be really interested in. Old things uh, are boring, Lee. <laughs> That's why much, you're boring, but they're much prettier. And uh, I, st- I, I, my first response was. Donington is just not designed to host a modern Grand Prix now. You know, 93 was a one-off and a struggle, but it was brilliant. But you can't do it regularly. Silverstone, as flawed as it might be, has got the infrastructure, basically, for it to host a British Grand Prix. Chris, put this in context for us. So, I mean, Formula E did its season one testing at Donington. So it's it's not... It wasn't a circuit that made the Formula E cars have to slam on the brakes all the time. At the same time, it's not Monaco. No, exactly. Um, you'll you'll find most cars are able to take it in very very similar ways. As you really, what most guys do, what most of the series I've um, watched, um, which are things that still run an H pattern gearbox, basically leave it in third for the vast majority of the lap because you really only need to do it maybe just before the old hairpin. You can get it up to fourth if you're lucky, but there there aren't really many um, like gear changes, for example. The braking zones are quite short, uh, and it's it's a very nice flowing lap. So let's put this in. Go on then. Sorry, I was going to say the the crane curves are an absolute classic s- sequence of corners. You know, I've, I was lucky enough to have driven a Lotus Elise around there, and uh, and it, you know, it's it's sensational. You know, downhill, and then you've got the, uh, the, the 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 twisty bit at the end. It's wonderful. Of course, what really hurt Donington as well is while all the the, the Formula One stuff was being taken away from them. So was MotoGP, which was the other big thing that it hosted. And that also went to Silverstone. Interesting fact. Chris Stevens, actually, Lee, you won't know this. He thinks that MotoGP is is good and not an evil, dark, black magic that has inflicted motorsport. Um, Chris, don't look at me like that. If you lean over that far, you should fall down. The <laughs> fact that they don't means it's witchcraft. How, how, do, how do planets go around the sun? Just... It's the same kind of forces. Well, planets are discs and the Earth is flat. We all know that. <laughs> We've seen it on YouTube. Uh, let's talk about this uh, the, the Save Donington Park campaign, though, Lee, because you're not a media guy at the time. You were a school teacher and you were just passionate about Donington Park. And this is really, I think, not before social media, but it was in the earlier years of social media. And you ended up just almost accidentally mustering this campaign up. Exactly that. It was... Um, I. I've... Uh, a, a lotus uh, enthusiast and i own one and i just went on the lotus forum and said is anyone else concerned about donington park 
And um, I just come up with an idea. I said, well, why don't, you know, why don't we just all take a drive down there one day and sort of say, don't dig up the circuit. We love it. Let's, let's keep it going, guys, you know. And, uh, and I just sort of stuck on a day uh, in March. And then somebody in the forum said, oh, I'm a member of a Subaru forum as well. Can I post it on that? I went, by all means. Then someone said, I'm a, a member of a MX5 forum as well, by all means. And, and the next thing you know, uh, we've got, I've started a Facebook page and it's, it's, it's getting thousands and thousands of, of members. I, I love the sort of optics of this, Chris, because this is the kind of viral content that we're always desperately trying to claw at. The fact that there's, you know, a school teacher from, from, was it Reading? Oxfordshire. Ox- from Oxfordshire just puts his hand up and goes, guys, I'm worried about a thing. And then me too. And I, lo- I just love the audacity that you just went, tell you what, I mean, I agonize over dates for organizing <laughs> things. If you just go, tell you what, we'll do it on that Saturday in June or whenever it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and um, as it happens, the weather was glorious. Even though it was March, it was it was t-shirt weather. It was brilliant. But um, what I found is with the Facebook group, uh, more and more members were getting. And as the numbers got into the thousands, then uh, local newspapers started picking it up. Local uh, BBC, um, local radio, local TV started picking it up. Because uh, luckily, um, Donington's on the Leicestershire Nottinghamshire border, so I could kill two birds with one stone there. And I was getting comments. I was getting phone calls from Nottingham newspapers and TV and radio and Leicestershire uh, TV, radio and newspapers as well. And then it hit local news on BBC and the Facebook group went to five figures and it just took off. It was extraordinary. So, Chris, we've sort of missed a, sk- a step there. The reason that this action was required was because ultimately the the attempt to host the British Grand Prix didn't work. Yeah, the uh, the contract was rather pulled from underneath uh, Donington, unfortunately, uh, right after Silverstone agreed to build that that big wing complex. Um, and it, it had planned to do a, a pit and paddock refurb somewhere in the region of £30 million. Pounds. Um, but that having the wing complex was kind of the, uh, the, the killer, as it were, for Donington anyway. So, yeah, so obviously that was at the time that the global financial crisis hit in 2008. They didn't have the investors in place at the time, and then they definitely couldn't secure those investors once that crisis had hit. Uh, the main flaw in that, though, Lee, was not just that that campaign failed and not just though that they couldn't get the investment, but they'd already done quite a lot to the area. Absolutely. They they'd dismantled the, Dun- the famous Dunlop Bridge, which was considered a landmark from uh, for miles around. And they'd also dug over the circuit in several places. I think about uh, six or seven or eight places in the circuit, they'd simply dug all the way across it, uh, making it completely, completely impossible for any sort of race car to drive over it. So the situation we find ourselves in is actually pretty tragic. Uh, a great racetrack has almost been laid to waste by this by this work and that's when your campaign started i mean what what was the the aim of of that day you've you've gathered all the attention of the media you've gathered thousands of people who want to go down you know you weren't going down there with pitchforks were you no i I always made it really clear that um i wanted it to be a it was never a protest or anything i always said in 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 every interview that i was getting because i was getting you know i was getting phone calls at sort of six in the morning saying can you can you do an interview and of course because as a teacher, I had very little flexibility, so I had to uh, I, I had to tell them no. But um, but yeah, the, the plan was always to a show of support for the track rather than uh, any sort of protest. I wanted people to know, and I wanted the potential new buyers or new owners to know that the just the place that had in the heart of motorsport fans uh, all over the country 
And actually, that was 2010. Uh, we've just been in the queue since then. It's taken us till 2018 to get hold of you, Lee. That's how, that's how popular, <laughs> that's yeah. how popular that campaign was. Um, so tell me about the results of it then, Lee, because obviously, Chris, I mean, the, is there any of the scars left at Donington Park from this fiasco? Uh, definitely, you know, you can still see, uh, where some of the work was taking place and they kind of tidied it up a little bit. Um, really, but you can definitely see, you know, this is where uh, the work had started. And there was a really long period where the circuit did look pretty awful. <laughs> to be honest, it was a bit of an eyesore. And of course, they never reinstated the uh, Dunlop Bridge. That's still, no. that's now owned by Chris Evans, apparently. What, wait a minute. What, so Chris Evans just owns that one small part of the track? Uh, just the bridge. And apparently paid about £300 for it, so I heard. And uh, people did want to get it reinstated, but... Um, Mr. Wheatcroft decided that was uh, not possible. So, of course, that is the son of the original owner. Uh, and so he's back in charge of it now. After the company that tried to get the F1 going uh, collapsed, it went, then went back to the family. Um, by the time the, uh, what do you want to call it? The protest, the parade, the show of support. By the time that came around, they'd already felt empowered by all that and they'd started racing again. Uh, what happened was, um, Kevin Wheatcroft, when, when the numbers started increasing, Kevin Wheatcroft, uh, yes, you're quite right, the son of uh, Tom Wheatcroft, who basically bought Donington Park in the 70s, um, he decided that uh, it was such a show of support that uh, it was too good to ignore. So he helped organise, uh, with me, invited me to the track on several occasions. He he helped organise uh, uh, the, the, the car clubs to join, uh, a fun fair for the kids. They had an auto jumble. And, um, and helped organize the, the, the special day that, that, that happened on the, in March in 2010. Of course, fell into administration for a little bit, didn't it? Um, I think just before it was kind of handed back to the Wheatcroft family, um, there was a, a time where, you know, the gates were, were shut and, and locked and some feared that that was going to be a, a permanent feature absolutely i mean that was that was my biggest concern is because there was there were rumors sloshing around that it was going to be an extension to the east midlands airport it was it was going to turn into a, a, a tesco site it was going to be a massive housing estate i mean it's a prime spot of real estate there and uh that was what my biggest fear was because uh, for years i'd always thought oh you know I'll, one day you know uh rich is familiar with this you know forcing a, a child into his own image but uh no I, no no. Uh, let's be clear here i forced my child into pursuing my own failed dreams <laughs> but i thought i'd uh i'd i'd, I'd have a one have a little boy or girl one day and um and i'll take him to donington and uh i just recently uh my son was uh was was born and next thing i know donington park was you know threatened of going under so uh, yeah, it was it was it was purely from the heart, and um, and like you say, it had gone into administration, um, and it, it needed it needed some investment, it needed some money spent on it, and uh, you know it could have quite easily been sold off for uh, one of these horrible, ghastly things that seems to happen so frequently these days. But there's no doubt, is it? Is there that that show of support had an effect on on the owners, and in that whole process when they were trying to find um, trying to find a future for Donington Park, Chris. Uh, yeah, the the big thing that to, to kind of get Donington Park rolling again was kind of getting the the grade statuses um, back, which of course the Rickcroft family kind of jumped in on on straight away because you've got to kind of get at least the national uh, racing back in there. But I think the thing that that actually really helped Donington's future was Formula E setting up base at, at Donington and housing uh, ten Formula E teams for three years and hosting its uh, official testing for that period of time as well was actually a, a really big, helpful um, investment. 
Yeah, it was a masterstroke. And also, of course, it's now owned by um, uh, Jonathan Palmer, who uh, obviously owns lots of uh, – he owns Alton Park and Brands Hatch, et cetera. So uh, – and he's – you can you can see every time you go, you can see his influence on it, you know, that, that certain areas have been tarmacked better. But they, they also had to pull down the old um, the old pub, unfortunately, to extend a gravel trap. So uh, that's one of the main scars as well that's missing, which is a bit of a shame. And I loved that pub. I thought it was brilliant. Oh, wonderful. You just you know an MSV circuit because if you've been to a British circuit, chances are it's owned by MSV unless it's Silverstone, really. Um, and you can tell they all serve the same kind of slush puppies that aren't really <laughs> as nice as the original, you know, that kind of thing. Well, thank you very much, Lee Coombs. It does show what you can do if you just take action. You don't have to sit at home and let terrible things happen. You can uh, fight for things to remain as they are. If you put enough beef behind it, Rich, can't you, Lee? I just want to add that is exactly it. I, what I didn't want is I didn't want to turn around and look back and think I did nothing. You know, I wanted to sit there and look and think, you know, there's something, somebody has to do something. And then at least if Donnerton does collapse, I can't turn around and look at, look, look in the mirror and say, well, I could have done something I didn't. So yeah, it's worked out okay. Well, thank you for being, I think, the first live in shed <laughs> guest. Uh, so you've been a bit of a guinea pig here for this new setup. And also, since you incorrectly think that modern F1 isn't as good as old F1, you'd be a prime candidate to come and join us for our retro race reviews that are coming up before the new season starts. That sounds amazing. Tell you what, let's, let me propose a race. Now, I always get confused as to exactly which year, but it was Suzuka and it was a wet race. 1993, I'm thinking, was that classic race with Damon Hill? Senna won. And uh, actually, you've just hit on my favourite Grand Prix of all time. Wow, there we go. (laughs) Senna thumped Eddie Irvine after that race, which uh, also makes it good. All right, tell you what, (laughs) let's lock that in. Let's make that our next retro race review. Chris Stevens, Autosport, why don't you plug your stuff like you always do? Find all of my work on ejournoonline.com that's my own personal save and i've just this second got done recording e-radio show with matt because uh, there's formerly on this weekend from marrakesh so check out the preview and then check out our live stream where we'll be reviewing the race the tuesday afterwards and ali is there any remnants of the save donnington park campaign left on the internet uh yeah you can still google it now and um, there's a few a few hits but my favorite one is the motorsport magazine did a really nice article uh that's one of the first hits that you can find and uh, it's a really nice story and background to uh to donington with some nice old pictures from the 30s that you'd certainly appreciate if you search lee coombs and donington park it'll come up of course you can follow the show at Mist Apex F1. We also have a Facebook page, follow Mist Apex Podcast, or you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Mist Apex. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Mist Apex. See, told you it was a real shed. <laughs> Unless I went to all this extreme measure to get someone to pretend they were in my shed. It's still standing. It's quite breezy out. No, look, this is completely soundproof and weatherproof. <laughs> is it not technically a sun house? A, a stiff breeze it's, and it would go, It's I definitely a shed. It's not technically anything. There's a wolf outside huffing and puffing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it's a shed in the forest. I didn't say I owned real property. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.